The Money Show. Shapeshifters. Mohadi Mabela is the chief executive of Native Nosi. She is a beekeeper, a businesswoman. She is was inspired by her father, um, who was a beekeeper in Polokwane, I think. I mean, what was the backstory to this, Mohadi? How long had your dad kept bees for? What was his interest um, in, in bees? Evening, uh, Bruce. Thank you so much for having me. So my father is... Um, is a lover of bees because his father kept uh, some bees on his farm to assist with pollination because he, uh, my grandfather was a crop and livestock farmer. But um, I think at his time, he understood the role of pollination and my father just gravitated more towards the bees. And he's just been working with bees ever since. And your interest, I mean, growing up, were you taken to the hives? Were you fascinated by these industrious little creatures? Oh, it was such a bore. I hated I hated <laughs> those trips. <laughs> it was never really intentional whenever we were exposed to bees. It would be maybe if we were moving from point A to C and at B there were bees. And um, he would stop by, you know, on his way to our next destination just to check up on the hives uh, because it's probably on the way. And we would just be looking through the windows because obviously when he was with us, it wouldn't be intense. He would just do a hive inspection just to check if the bees are still okay and all of that. And we would basically always be in the car looking, you know, at him doing his thing. Um, and then we just move right along. It was never intentional and we never, you know, had any interest. If anything, he was just boring us because we just wanted to play and he was wasting our time. <laughs> so that is as far as my relationship with bees was when I was growing up. And so when did the bug bite or the bee sting, depending on, I suppose, which metaphor you want to uh, torture? <laughs> How old were you when you got interested? So I, um, my love is for honey. So what I always loved was the honey. Um, I would look forward to my dad coming back from his um, hives with the honey. And we would never get honey when we were with him because that would mean opening the hive and harvesting some honey. And then it's a bit dangerous when you're with kids who are not kitted and stuff. So I used to know when he would go for harvest, he would let me know that, no, I'm just going to check some bees. If there are any, if there is any honey, then I'll bring some for you. And I would wait up or, you know, if I fell asleep while he was on a harvest, I'd wake up very early the next morning and try to see if, you know, he brought us some honey. And that is where my love was. So when I started beekeeping, it was because I wanted to secure some honey because I was then selling some honey when, you know, I realized that people were not having real honey. I offered to bring them some of my dad's honey and they agreed. I bought some of my dad's honey and then I, you know, sold it to them and they liked it. But soon after that, my father couldn't keep up with the demand because it just started snowballing. And we, you know, spoke to some other local beekeepers and we got some of their honey that they weren't selling. But then that soon ran out. So how I started beekeeping was that I wanted to secure, you know, some of my own supply. And my father said, look, you have to learn how to make your own honey so that when you can't get honey from anywhere else, at least you know how it's done and you can, you know, secure your own supply. So that's when I started then getting into beekeeping so that okay. I could actually learn how to make some of my own honey. And I mean, how long have you been at it? This is what, 2015, you quit your job um, and, and you <laughs> went into the bee business. 
So I was selling honey from 20, around 2010, 2011. Um, and, you know, it started growing and growing and growing. And 2015 was a very interesting year. A lot of things were happening. Um, I didn't quit my job. Um, it was because I was on maternity leave and I had just gotten married. And um, I was thinking about, you know, how to to build a legacy for my kids. And the, 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 the closest thing that made sense was the, was the beekeeping. You know, I was started starting to think maybe I should formalize this thing because there is a huge demand. You know, people do want some of the honey that I'm selling. It's growing um, in terms of, you know, the, the money that I'm making from the beekeeping. So maybe I should register a proper business so that I can also trade, you know, legally and um, be able to formalize this thing that I've been doing. It wasn't the intention, but I'm here now and it just makes sense. So that's when we registered the Native Norsi and that's when I was actively now doing the beekeeping how many how do you measure honey liters do you measure it in buckets how, do, <laughs> how does how does one measure honey in combs you you measure it in kilograms okay. and um the kilograms are never consistent because like farming um the honey you harvest will depend on a lot of uh, external factors like your geographical location like the rain uh, fall you know if it rains and there's enough food for the bees you will get a better harvest uh, so with the same beehives you are not necessarily guaranteed the same amount of honey um every year or every season it just depends on all those things you know where your bees are what kind of crops that they're exposed to um but with the number of hives that we run we can be looking at anything between five and ten tons per annum, which is not a lot. Um, uh, no, it's actually not a lot because we sell about about a ton uh, to 1.5 tons per month. So we are making less honey than we actually um, are selling. Oh wow! Okay. Um, do you, are, are your hives mobile? Are you one of these people who's got a truck and somebody phones you up and says, uh, "Mohadi, I need uh, to pollinate my orchards. It's um, springtime. The blossoms are out, and I would like thirty hives. Please, could you come and put your hives at my uh, at my orchard?" And you go and deposit the the go and deposit the hives at the orchard. The bees do their magic. They come back to the uh, to to the hives, and you pick them up in the middle of the night three weeks' time once they've done the work and you get to keep the honey, they pay you a fee uh, and the bees move on to the next assignment. Yes. So we definitely move our bees around. Um, most of the times when people don't move bees around is if they're doing it for like as a hobby or if they've got bees in their backyard. But when they're making honey to sell, it makes sense for you to move your bees around because then you are always able to expose them to um, different uh, trees and flowers throughout the year. If you don't move them, then it means they wait for the season where the area w- which they are placed has some some food. Um, so we definitely move our bees around. And uh, the, the 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 fun fact about native nose is that most of our money we make from pollination, not from honey. So we do get farmers, mostly in the Zanin areas, which require our bees for macadamias, for evo, uh, for blueberries, lychees, pumpkin, um, and sometimes citrus. 
and we place our beehives on their farms uh, or their orchards and our bees pollinate the crops and um depending on the time where we agreed the minimum is normally about 40 days but with things like blueberries it's tricky because they don't have a lot of pollen and nectar so our bees have to rotate like every two weeks but under normal circumstances you know they're there for for a longer time and then we rate our beehives per day and that's when you know we are able to make an income from providing pollination to crop farmers and how they benefit is that they get a a better yield in terms of, you know, mass or numbers that they yield and a better quality crop, which makes it better for them to actually trade their crops at, you know, a fair or a premium price. Uh, how would I, if I wanted to become a beekeeper, if I like the sound of what it is that you do, um, how would I acquire my first hive? Would I simply go and buy a hive and stick it out in nature and wait till a queen found it? You could do that, uh, but then the disadvantage is that you wouldn't know what you are doing. <laughs> so you just no, I have no clue. Know, That's why I'm asking. <laughs> and hoping for the best. The best way to go about it is to actually enroll yourself uh, through a beginner's beekeeping training. So this will give you basic knowledge of how to actually catch a hive. You know which season you can catch it, what equipment you need, protective gear, um, what you need to look out for. So things like security, um, vandalism, and all of that. You need to look for secure sites. So a beginner beekeeping training is the best way to actually equip you. And also because uh, bees are dangerous. So it sounds very romantic, but you need to be knowing what you're doing when you're working with bees so that you can avoid lawsuits. Because if they sting someone's pets or they sting somebody, um, or they attack people on a farm, um, it is going to be a lawsuit on your hands. So you rather want to be safe rather than sorry. And also, you also don't want to be, you know, stung by bees simply because you are you are ill-equipped with regards to the skills or the knowledge that you need. And from there on, through the basic beekeeping training, you should be able to know, you know, where you can get your hive uh, or your beehive or how to make it at least and be able to buy the basic beekeeping equipment that would get you started into beekeeping keeping you would also need to register yourself with the department of agriculture so that you can register you, they can know that you are practicing beekeeping they want to keep a register of everybody who's involved in the beekeeping or the honey valley chain and then um so with that you you get a registration number that's attached to your name and then you have to put it on your beehive so that if there's any problem um you know the department or anyone can be able to 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 track you know who the owner of the beehive is and then then, you know, it's advisable for you to start with maybe one beehive so that uh, because it is expensive, you know, to start an, an average beehive at, at, uh, in today's prices costs anything between a thousand and, and two thousand rands. Um, so this does not even include the, the equipment. So you want to start with maybe one beehive so that you can be able to know if it's something you love and also how to run your first beehive. And when you're confident and if you uh, feel that you want to continue and get more beehives, then you just gradually um, increase your beehives from that. It's a wonderful story. Please stick with us. Mohadi Mabela, Chief Executive at Native Norsi. We've got so many, we, I think we import to South Africa more honey than we produce. A lot of it comes out of places like China. And a lot of the stuff that comes out of places like China is not real honey. How do you tell the difference between honey and the stuff that is not real? And what is the difference in terms of money? Terrible rhyme. More on that in a moment. The Money Show. Shapeshifters.
So we couldn't hear you, Mohadi, because you were telling us all these wonderful things as we were playing adverts. So let's try again, shall we? Um, how do you tell the difference between honey, honey and funny, honey? <laughs> so I don't know how, like, how far I went the last time, but basically I was saying... No, st- when start from scratch, work... please. Start from I'll scratch. Start from scratch. When you don't work with honey as much as, you know, beekeepers do, it's not always easy to tell the difference. You can definitely go to Google and Google some, you know, uh, DIY tips on how to tell if it's real honey or not. But the best way is to get it from a reputable source. So if you yourself know a beekeeper, um, get your honey from the beekeeper. If not, there are some shops that are reputable. Most of the times they're much smaller than the commercial stores. And um, you know your bulldog shops, your delis, your small health shops, your your your, your fresh produce markets. Those kind of uh, places uh, normally have options of having raw honey. And I was also saying that raw honey um, is not always consistent. So just like fruit, you can't, even in the same packet, you can't get apples that are identical. Um, Apples will always differ in shape, in size, you know, um, even in the same packet, although it's from the same harvest, it's the same with honey. Honey will always taste different or smell different or look different in terms of color. It will be darker or lighter, um, the viscosity. So the thickness will will, will sometimes differ because the honey um, is informed by the trees or the vegetation that the bees fed on to actually make it. And we know that that is ever-changing because of you know the external factors I spoke earlier about, uh, like geographic location and weather and all of that stuff. So um, if you can get uh, honey from a reputable uh, beekeeper, we are also there. Uh, if you don't know a formal beekeeper, you know, you can come to Native Norsi or buy from our online store. Um, that is the best way because the the, the market is flooded um, with all sorts of honey substitutes. Um, and the substitutes are basically imported honey that you, we would get from other countries and Sometimes they they have additives that you know will they will, they won't declare it on the product, but they will add all sorts of things just to increase the volumes of honey and sell it at the same price. And this is what's you know killing our South African um, honey market because we now have to compete with the cheap um, imports of honey um, versus the local produced quality stuff that our local beekeepers are making. And I, 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 is there no regulation as to what governs honey, what you can and can't call honey? There is regulation. There's lots of regulation, uh, but it's not always properly enforced. Um, yes you know, which is not new to the to, to, to the beekeeping uh, industry. So there's lots of regulation. Uh, the, the South African, the, the Department of Agriculture um, does have, you know, some uh, regulations that all beekeepers need to adhere to, hence why you need to register with them. We also have the South African Bee Industry Organization. And on their website, they've put together all kinds of acts, including, you know, um, pests, and disease management of, you know, um, all sorts 
sorts of pests that are going to be friendly in terms of uh, to the bees so that if you know your neighbor is spraying all sorts of pesticides um, and stuff and it kills your bees there's there's all sorts of legislation there's legislation for people who kill bees um, because you're not supposed to kill bees they're protected species so there's all sorts of regulations um, but they are not properly enforced so in the absence of that you know people are doing all sorts of things that are not necessarily ethical um, and that then you know, dampens the the credibility of what is always in the honey bottle. So rather get it from somebody you know or a source you trust. You've got about 300 hives. That's an astonishing number of hives. And you've explained to us how you um, shift them about to wherever they are required, wherever they needed. Um, You must come up against a huge amount of disappointment. I mean, you mentioned pesticides and things. I mean, have you ever gone to collect a hive and there's just no sign of life at all because somebody has gone and sprayed something stupid in in the area nearby? Yes, but not as often as I've encountered vandalism. Um, vandalism by, by human beings is one of our worst problems where you just get a hive and it's completely destroyed and you know it's not the honey badger because uh, the honey badger, when you've worked with bees, you know the damage that is caused by the honey badger versus the damage that is caused by a human being. Um, so most of our problem is from human beings. It's um, unfortunately not from other farms because we um, have been fortunate enough to place our hives in areas that have not been you know, um, directly um, impacted in a large scale by pesticides. Okay, and and, um, and nature, I mean, honey badgers are very cute. I don't want to ever come against uh, up against one in a corner. I think it'll take you out. Um, but uh, are they are they quite destructive? Yes, honey badgers are very destructive, and they're very smart. Um, so they will, you know, poke holes into your beehives. Beehives are made out of wood, but they manage to destroy the hive and make a hole inside just so that they can access um, the beehive and uh, the honey inside. And you can't do anything to them. You as a beekeeper has to try and elevate your hive, which doesn't always work, but it is a good attempt to try and keep the the, the honey badger away. Um, There are some other... um, not so savory methods that are safe for both the human and the honey badger that uh, we've learned about. So we are still trialing that and then uh, we'll see how it works. But the honey badger is also a protected species, so you're not allowed to kill it. You as a beekeeper need to make sure that you try and tie your hive so that you can lock it and make sure that it's not as easy for the honey badger to access the hive and uh, destroy it. Uh, it's a fascinating and uh, wonderful insight, and I wish you luck with it. I mean, you also you offer masterclasses, don't you? You do do courses on beekeeping. So anybody wants to learn more about the intricacies and the difficulties of of doing so, um, you are able to you, you, you teach the stuff. Yes, we uh, provide. Um, beginner beekeeping training. However, in the last quarter um, of 2021, all our hives in the Houting area, because they were in one site, were destroyed. So currently we are trying to get a secure site. How how, Um, how did that happen? Human beings, they get their, um, they steal honey and hives for different reasons. 
And as a result, you get to site one day and your hive is completely damaged. They steal the honey. Sometimes they just get there and take out all your frames and you think that there's honey, in, there's bees in your hive. You get there and it's completely empty. So in the last quarter of 2021, our hives were completely destroyed. And now we are trying to secure something because now when you do a beekeeping training, there has to be practicals because how else will your learners know how to you know, run a beehive. So we're just looking for a secure site um, where where our host will allow us to conduct beekeeping training. And once we have that, then we will, you know, start our beekeeping um, uh, beginner trainings again. But it is a service that we actually offer. Can you insure against that sort of wanton destruction of property? Is it possible? Yes, if you, if you find the culprits, uh, you can. It is illegal, so you can actually, you know, take them to, to the police station. But Good luck uh, like with that. Many but, I mean, like, but can can you ensure? I mean, <laughs> like uh, many things that I said before, it doesn't get far uh, when you take them no. to the, the the police station. So the best bet is for you to have a secure site, you know, where um, it, you own the the farm, which we don't. We don't have a farm, so we we depend on other people to host us. So that's why we don't always have control on things like security on the site and things like that. What a fabulous tale, that. Thank you so much for sharing it with us this evening. It's the story of the bees.